You're listening to Gilder's 4 Radio, broadcasting live all across the sun, the high outlands, and the far reaches of the athlete. Hey everyone, welcome to Gildersford Radio, broadcasting live deep from the heart of Gildersford's notorious Eastgate docks. I'm Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts James Ross, Lawrence and Gareth. We've got a great show for you. We're going to start with just what and where Gildersford is, how it fits into the overall narrative of Necromunda, and tease some of the roster of notorious characters that have made an appearance in the settlement. We're also going to be introducing our presenters, who they are, what makes them tick, and how they like to run their gangs. There is a discussion on the progression of the narrative in Necromunda, how new campaigns and the constantly changing narrative affects our setting and playstyles. All that along with some chat and banter about rules and happenings in the wider context of the game. Grab that bottle of Wild Snake and join us. Hello everyone, welcome to the show and welcome to the inaugural broadcast of Gildersford Radio. Say hello everybody. Hello. Hello, So uh, you're probably listening and thinking, who the hell are these people and we should probably introduce ourselves I guess I should go first. So, hello group, hello listeners, I'm Lee, and I've been a Necromunda addict since it launched in the last millennium. Back in 1995, yes, I'm that old. Uh, there was a joke in, in there for you guys to kind of uh, uh, you know, do your thing. Anyway, I was there, front and centre, back in 19, whenever it was, the back of the age of times, uh, Hammersmith store, waiting in line to get my box, and that, uh, that was college or high school for our friends across the pond, and I've been in the sump ever since. Mainly Outlanders play like Van Saar, but when Outlanders came out, it was all about the redemption. It was all about Chad, and uh, Chad will be uh, explained later on. Uh, we won't go into this now, but uh, I, I just love the Outlands, and I love the, the new move um, going forward into N17, you know, the, the Ash Wastes and that kind of thing. But um, basically, all you need to know about me is this. I lo- I'm all about narrative. I'm, I'm anti-whack, anti-tournament. I don't really care if I win. All I care about is something ridiculously spectacular happening that want, that we want to talk about it for the club for years to come. We've got loads of things that we're going to talk about that in Gildersford and the history of Gildersford going forward. Um, and my usual gang setups are all about some ridiculous Hail Mary that always inevitably fails, but sometimes it doesn't. But the whole point is to make something hilarious and memorable. And at that, I'm going to shut up and pass the torch. Thanks, Lee. Uh, yes, got to love those Hail Mary moments, especially when they don't work. Yes. So uh, my name's James or uh, Dixie, uh, and I'm the, the core arbitrator for uh, Gilders Ford. Uh, so I've been playing probably just slightly less time than Lee has overall. Um, but I primarily arbitrate now, um, and I've He's played, I think, every every single gang, I think, at this point. Um so I don't really have a particular favourite or a particular one I use often. Uh, if anything, I'd be drawn really to the Enforcers, which ties in with Precinct 19 uh, and Gildas Ford, which we'll cover later on in a little bit more detail. Um, but yes, also about all about the narrative and those yeah those Hail Mary moments, definitely the ones that, that make it for me as well, um, particularly seeing you know other people have those moments in game and then seeing those moments talked about games years down the line. Friendly Fire um, Freya. Friendly Fire Freya, Gangrene, uh, the, uh, the the 14 story Enforcer Fall. Yes. Um, yeah, all of that, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, been playing a long time. I say more about more about the arbitration, the storylines, the story arcs, and creating that kind of history and that environment for for people in the campaign to enjoy. Well, I guess we should take it from the old guard to the new. Flying. Uh, <laughs> everything you think I am. Uh, so my name is Ross or Roscoe. Uh, moral victor mini on the old socials uh instagram occasionally twitter 
Shameless plug. And uh, no, yeah, absolutely. Assuming you don't get kicked by Musk. In just so. <laughs> You're breaking my flow here, boys. Sorry. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I actually only got into Necromunda um, with the 2017 uh, edition, although my earliest memory is actually uh, White Dwarf issue 201. Um, and having done my due diligence, I can tell you that came out in September 96. Um, and it was the it came from the sump issue, um, which we were very happy one. to see uh, resurrected a couple of weeks ago at Guildford Games Club um, by Eddie. Uh, and it very much caught my my youthful attention because of the idea of these creature features, the the completely open ended narrative opportunities that Commander has, um, particularly as regards big gribbly beasties. Um, so I'm certainly a fan of those. As far as uh, contemporary Necromunda, uh, I am a Escher stalwart. So Hennessy's hoodlums are likely back for this campaign and possibly their last campaign of three or maybe even four. Um, I've also rolled out a couple of themed Venator gangs, a Delac uh, assassination squad, and uh, an off-world game, big game hunter who uh, who met an ignominious end with the roof falling on him thanks to Dixie's machinations. Um, but his, his cousin continues his legacy, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, 368th for the, uh, for the throne, I believe, last we checked. But um, for me... Not, it's, no yeah. bitter there at all, are you? I, I, I'm, I'm clenching with rage. Uh, I don't know if that, yeah, mics are picking that up at uh, this end. But um, much like Dixie and, and Lee, uh, for me, it's it's storytelling. It's nice to win. Um, if I could roll anything other than ones when I need to, uh, perhaps I even would win occasionally. But it's about the story. It's about those legacies and um, and those long-standing feuds that develop, if not between individual gangs, then, then houses within the club. Cool. And who's the next victim? Well, I imagine that would be me, uh, seeing as the only reason I'm here is Ross's fault. So you've got him to blame. Um, so I've, I've been with the club now maybe, what, like three years? Um, joined just before COVID. Um, I've been a fan of Necromunda since 1998 when I was 10. Sorry if that offends you, Lee. Oh, that um, makes me feel so old. <laughs> oh, that is such a long time ago. <laughs> um, and, and do you know what? I, I remembered it was because I uh, won a, a blister pack of three uh, Delac uh, last gun guys um, in some sort of competition in store, actually, uh, one weekend. Um, and that, that kind of drew me in. And what I really loved about it was like the whole sort of RPG light aspect of uh, take a, a group of nobodies shove something in their hand and if they do well they can gain some xp and come back next week with a new skill um i thought that was really refreshing compared to blat you're dead uh remove the model from the table so yeah that, that was kind of what piqued my interest um in terms of currently um i think when i came to the club i um had some of my escher ready so i rolled with them first time round in james's campaign back to basics uh big fan of that by the way maybe we'll get to talking about that at some point um and then i barely got to play in ross's campaign due to life and kids um but i i put together a uh, mainly melee focused um vansar gang um sidearms shields and shock battens and all the rest of it so i'm quite looking forward to breaking them out at some point and seeing if i can do something that isn't just long range popping people's clogs um and i think for the next campaign i'm going to be rolling with some sort of arbitrator styled uh precinct 19 gang so um yeah prepare prepare yourselves for getting clopped around the back of the head and dragged off into the darkness to be interrogated 
Magnacles for days, guys. For days, mate. For days. Got to come out through the, the the ash waste to do that, though. You know, got to you know, not a lot of cover. Justice has no boundary. That's what Judge Dredd would say. <laughs> I am the law. And to round it out, Lawrence. Hi, yeah, I'm Lawrence. Uh, I'm newest member of uh, Gilders Ford. Uh, joined just after COVID, after my uh, my previous club kind of went the way of the dodo. Um, again, I've been playing since uh, the dawn of uh, time. Uh, I've always really played, well, I've played them all, but I've always been drawn to Escher because those those original models were, they were just groundbreaking at the time and to the point where they even still stand up today and I still include those True. old metal models yeah. in my gang. You know, right next to the plastic, they, they're still beautiful, beautiful models. Especially um, the Jeeves, they work really, really well. Tango! Yeah. Yeah, you beat me to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the only thing that makes me sad is the fact that the kangaroos never ever made it to the uh, <laughs> made it to the table. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Tank Girl is indeed in my gang. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, for me, uh, and was, although I love the the, the RPG I, idea behind evolving your gangs, for me, it's always been a skirmish level game um, with a, a bit more tactical depth than 40k ever had. Um, and and that's really what what gets me gets me to enjoy games, and I'm often looking for you know how, how do we get those rules to kind of work for the work for the the tabletop as well as so you know so everybody can have fun and tell a great story, but at the same time you know you, you don't want to ruin it. It's still a game. It still involves dice. Yep. I mean, I've always thought that uh, it, it it harkens back the closest 40k to this has always been second edition for those people that played second edition or perhaps even first edition because you were playing with much smaller uh, forces than you do these days. But uh, yeah, okay, I'll just um, crawl back into the ages of time and not worry about stuff like that. Oh, indeed, oh, indeed. But you know, anyone who played 40k back then, you know, I can remember once having. Uh... Good old Mephiston wander across a tabletop in a rhino and then eat something like 200 um, Gretchen. And it, that took eight turns. Um, you know, it, it was a different scale game and yeah. it played very differently. And of course, now these days, you know, 40K is, is very abstracted away from second edition. Um, yes, it is. And, and you know, e- even the, the kill team light rules that... Uh, that are out there. Necronanda adds all that depth, and mm. with the new rule set, you know you've you've got so many more things you can do. The whole the whole concept of actions, you know, it, it almost feels like it's borrowed from um, um, Infinity. Um, Never played that without with without the, the 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 maths that Infinity requires constantly. Right. Yeah, that it is a lot more uh, <laughs> a lot more number crunching in that game. Yeah, I've, I've seen it played. I've never actually played it. It's one of those kind of on my list of to do and never quite got there. But there we go. Anyway, so that's the gang. That's who you'll be listening to. And I suppose what we should do now is kind of introduce. We talked about Gildersford and what is Gildersford and where, importantly, most importantly, where is Gildersford? And really, we should uh, hand over to the progenitor and father of Gildersford, Dixie, um, because we should really explain this thing. So over to you, man. Thank you very much. So Gildersford is the location uh, that our gaming club, Guildford Games Club, uh, in the UK, in the UK, um, in Surrey. Uh, it's the location there that we use for our Necromunda campaigns. We're a little bit different, I guess, to most places, though, in that we have set all of our campaigns in Gildersford for the last, must be 
20 years or so. Um, Something like that, yeah. Near 15, 20 years. But um, yeah, it's far too long. Uh, but it's 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 a really unique um, setting for us now because we've had so many campaigns and so many sort of story arcs and events and everything that have happened. And because we've set them all in the same place and because they've largely been arbitrated by myself uh, with a few guest arbitrations along the way, we've collected all of the stories, all of the lore, the histories, the locations, the characters, the gangs, the incidents. They, they've, they've all been collated together. So we haven't lost you know, anything by just having random, random campaigns happening in random places with no link between them. Um, so lo- lots and lots and lots of those campaigns are, are directly linked into incidents that happened in previous campaigns that have you know, triggered a secondary event or a different story arc. Uh, and we can come back and revisit those story arcs later on in, in future campaigns. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a really different perspective. Um, and I think because of that, we've attracted a lot of players. Uh, I mean, we have quite a few members at our club, but we have probably 25 Necromunda players who will regularly come along and play in campaigns. Uh, not not the same people each time, um, but we normally get 10 to, 10 to 12, yeah. 10 to 15 people in a campaign, yeah. um, which is really good because I think a lot of places, you know, sometimes if they're a bit more isolated, they can really struggle for players. So it gives us a really good grounding, I think, for... Um, helping other other campaigns and other players with what what they what they're doing and try and you know if we can help anyone improve their settings and improve their games and recruit more players and fantastic yeah no absolutely i mean and it's one of the most it's one of the wonderful things i love about the setting because you know we've already alluded to some names like gangrene and friendly fire fray that have been there right right from the get-go but then also the 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 wonderful sort of adaptability that we've had that allows you know it's not just the some poor you know a bunch of uh, zone mortalis type tiles that we've created new um settings like the docks that we put into place or the you know the, the the monster hunts that we've gone on and all those kind of things and all of them get woven into this amazing narrative and um, ongoing sort of campaigns and ongoing features of campaigns and, and the ability for gangs to kind of come in and out like you know I've, I've Chad and the Redemption have kind of come in and out uh, of campaigns because I've not been around or, or whoever's not been around to do that I, I've always felt that uh, as, a, as a wonderful kind of um, benefit. I just have yeah, the, the, it's kind of like the Bayo tapestry of Necromunda, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things, yeah, one what, of the things that is that, so good about Necromunda, one of the things that's so good about Necromunda being such a you know uh, an RPG style game, you know that that arbitrator that's now been introduced to the game really does have that same role that the the games master does in D and D. You know, so winding those stories together. Um, you know, is that job that is the job of the, the games master? And the, the same is true of the arbitrator in, in Necromunda. And I, I wonder whether lots of groups fail to to appreciate that. I think a lot of groups just see it as somebody to manage all the paperwork that comes with running a campaign. Yeah, you know, making sure that the the missions are the right missions are selected, and the gangs the right gangs play each other, and you know, experience is handed out correctly, and all that kind of stuff. But um, but they miss yeah the the the, the story arc is you know just as important to the campaign in my opinion as, as any anything else i mean I, i've not heard of other clubs doing the same sort of thing as this but you know could be wrong and we'd love to hear from people if they are doing this and may, you know maybe we can work out some cross pollination of ideas and things like that but yeah i mean it, it always seems to be like it's someone comes up with an idea and then they run with that idea and then the next one comes along and it's like right almost sort of let's wipe everything and start again and and um, I, i've not heard about it but it's not to say it doesn't happen 
I wonder if that goes some way to explaining there's a common community grievance of, of campaign burnout. And, you know, that might come down to the length of a campaign. Yeah, uh, there is there is definitely a sweet spot with duration. But actually, you know, is narrative perhaps that key ingredient in keeping player interests in in, in perpetuating the, the campaign to to a finale of, of some sort? You know, and keeping the players turning up, you know, week after week or, or cycle after cycle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we definitely do see that because because we've been you know running the same location for such a long time, and and everyone has played in that location. They are part of the story, and you know, they because they feel part of the story, they're more inclined then to carry on with the campaign, see it through to its you know final whatever incident I may have dreamt up um, for it, and. On the chance that you know their their gangs are going to be remembered for participating, or even like you said in the past, um, where you know other people that play a similar gang pick up the grievances from something else that's happened from some you know uh, and that's yeah. yeah yeah that's that's my one of my most like favourite things about this actually is that we because we've been running it for so long we see people are aware of incidents that happened in previous campaigns to other gangs and you'll you'll quite often during a campaign I'll overhear somebody talking during a game where one house is playing against another house and they're referencing an incident that happened between those two houses 10 years ago in a campaign where they weren't even a member of the club, but they've heard about it because it's such a key incident in the history Yes, uh, that they are bearing that grudge on behalf of that original gang 10 years later, having never met the player. And it, it's just, it's amazing. It's what Necromunda is all about for me, uh, is, that, is that narrative. I mean, I have to say that was that was primarily... Well, not what drew me to the club. Ross Ross told me that you even existed, and although it's a bit of a journey, I, I thought it would be worth it to actually be able to get some games in with some people that are like-minded. But, I mean, even if I hadn't enjoyed my first game there, the fact that there was this um, collaborative universe that you guys have constructed um, and continue to add to and develop over time, um, that was such a, a massive drawing point for me, you know, to, to be able to be part of that and... Uh, to add to it and, and see how it developed and evolved um, naturally and, and organically just in ways that you don't expect it to throughout games, you know. Um, that, that was a real, uh, you know, just fun part of, uh, of playing. So Gilders Ford itself uh, is a, a history in a nutshell <laughs> in two minutes because there's a lot to pack into uh, to a very well, I have lots of opportunity to go into more detail in later episodes. Obviously, we, yes, yeah, I'm sure we will. We will definitely revisit it in more detail. But it's it's essentially it's it's a fairly standard settlement in the Underhive. Uh, it's it's towards the edge of the hive, and it has a a large uh, sump river running through the centre in a kind of horseshoe shape. Uh, and the sump river is bright yellow which lends its sort of name, which is lost, you know, the origins of the name Gilders Ford is lost to, to, uh, to history. But um, because it's bright yellow, the, the, the common assumption is that it's either a derivative of the Golden Ford, where the Gilder caravans used to cross, and therefore it's become known as Gilders Ford or from an old you know, trading route that was along that way. In that kind of horseshoe bit in the centre stands Precinct 19, uh, which is the, the local enforcer precinct. And the settlement itself is, is probably quite unique as well in that it is not run by local gang warlords. It's run by the enforcers. 
they have an iron fist over the entire settlement. That's not to say that things don't go horrifically badly sometimes, and there's uprisings and rebellions and all sorts that go go on, uh, which again we'll cover in future Gang episodes, green. I'm sure. Gangrene, the self-proclaimed prophets of the end times. Yes. Um, there's the uh, the Great Guild of Conclave, which is the sort of collaboration of all of the various guilds, guilds of coin and so on that are that are involved in the settlement. Um, there's the, the the wall around the edge of it. Uh, there's there's new guilders, which was a sort of half collapsed dome discovered underneath Guilders Ford during the Great Fire. I mean, strictly speaking, that um, should be old guilders, but let's not go there. Well, it was new guilders to the people in Guilders Ford who didn't know that it was there, and therefore it's new to them. But yes, it's yeah. There's some debate over the name even within the settlement now. To be fair, and then you've got the you know the wastes outside and uh, beyond the wall. You've got Fugitives Drift, which is kind of the the common. Or the closest area where the enforcers have an outpost to, to keep an eye on what's going on immediately outside the settlement where all the outlaws end up. So yeah, there's they say lots and lots and lots of different story arcs and impacts there, but uh, we'll uh, we'll come back to it in more detail later on. Yeah, so that's awesome. So hopefully that's kind of explained to people that this insane idea of Gilders Ford and where we're focusing on it, because it's this it's this depth and richness of narrative. And we could, you know, it, we sound like, you know, old gits at the pub, you know, standing at the bar talking about, and I were a lad, you know, all these old stories, but that it really is. There are some phenomenal things that, you know, we want to share with the world and the, the community of Necromunda players out there, because we just think that this it's kind of a cool thing and people can could take inspiration from some of this stuff and create their own narrative in a in a similar kind of homage kind of way so being that we've talked about that i think that one of the things we found uh, because we've got this sort of static uh, narrative construct that the the evolution of of the the game or evolution of the story from the n17 perspective from where it started to where it's going is something that we really wanted to talk about and i know ross you had you wanted to lead this kind of topic around this evolution of the narrative so again over to you man absolutely i mean you've done a fine job of introducing it there for me actually lee but um the the newest book cinderac burning i feel like i'm coming in in ill prepared here yeah no that's cinderac correct, burning say it with confidence we has obviously seen um a continuation of 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 the of the timeline so we've seen the house of books and and most of the uh, most of the edi- the 2017 edition books have all got a version of of the timeline up to an arbitrary contemporary point but cinderac burning is the one that's taking an, it forwards and actually bringing it closer to the the contemporary 40k storyline and timeline <clears throat> and my question really is how do people feel about that so i'm while a mere stripling compared to some here, I'm still I still came in, you know, with uh, original Warhammer Fantasy, and um and I'm still maybe bearing some marginal emotional scars from them blowing up the old world, uh, not to the point of melting any dark el- dark elf armies, um, <laughs> but still slightly slightly tender um, at, at the prospects and, and the thought of of what happened. Um, is it a good thing to 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 continue a storyline and then risk? those people who who've put time and energy into their own homebrewed corners of of the necromund you know necromundan planet um or is it a really healthy thing to to avoid uh, a a, a storyline a narrative a, a universe going stale and and uh, and becoming a bit a bit tiresome for for people what do we think 
I think that fantasy parallel there is is really quite relevant because uh, I think quite a lot of us would would appreciate you know back in the kind of end times you know eighth edition of fantasy it got to the point where nobody needed to buy miniatures and now if you imagine you know with Necromunda you know cool great you've got maybe twenty models you never ever need to uh, to to buy a miniature ever again once you've got one of every gang and you know. We want Games Workshop to keep keep supporting this system, and if we if they don't have a, a, a route into to sale, really, um, and I think kind of moving that storyline along, the the looking at alternate settings. I know I appreciate the kind of uh, ash wastes. Some people are hoping for Gorkamorka. I certainly loved it, but uh, I have um, Celine. <laughs> I have Celine. I, I know that's going to get mentioned more than once today. Yes. You know, it, it's all opportunities for for Games Workshop to 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 keep the setting alive, to keep, um, you know, to, to keep it healthy. And you know, I was playing playing the community supported um, N95 rules for years and years and years, and it, it it became very very static. It became, you know, it, yeah every game was every campaign was essentially the same yes okay you could come up with a bit more homebrew rules but those those gangs well for for a start they were cardboard cutouts of each other anyway yeah um i i I, I think there's a lot of lot of good that comes from moving stuff along but at the same time no just because just because okay half the half the planet's gone to hell um, doesn't mean you necessarily have to play in that timeline. You can, you know, you could say you can use all sorts of plot devices, you know, from from films when you come to to set set your campaigns to say, cool, okay, well, we're going to do a flashback campaign. We're going to do, you know, all sorts. No, no, I mean, I think um, the issue around the old hammer, kind of the old Munda rules of like you're constantly relying on the community to create, and I like that they created their version of the Ash Waste because it was never, you know, it never went further than Outlanders was was always an issue, and I think that is something that you know, like you say, the um, the freshness that they bring in. But I don't know I need to think about that before I answer. Gaz, you want to say something? Yeah, I, I just think that. Any, any development of the setting in general it can only be a, a positive thing for us as, as uh, fans or players because the more investment, the more people it's going to draw into it, um, the more options we're going to have to play with. And, and like Lawrence rightly pointed out, just because it's there doesn't mean you have to include it. We don't include everything that exists because there is an, a, an overabundance at this point of mechanics and options. Um, you, you know, you'd, I think you'd be an absolute nutter to try and include everything into one campaign. Um, but maybe we should try. Can... <laughs> I mean, that, that yeah, <laughs> Fugitive Drift has got a lot in it. Right, and and what what if we just dis- well, I say what have we decided upon? What have you decided upon? We've decided upon uh, an Outlanders campaign with um, house favors. Um, uh, resurrection packages and alliances, right? So th- three extra things and a custom trading post. Well, yep. yeah, and yeah, slots, I believe you know the the usual house rule adjustments or whatever. Um, but but in, essentially, you know, one campaign type and three optional extras, and the, and there's already an absolute wealth of, of possibility and opportunity there for players um, to dip their toe into. And there's a, you know an absolute veritable trove of books with further content that's already out there let alone what's yet to come um 
so personally i'm very excited for things like cinderella burning although they, it might not be to my taste and i haven't read it yet because i haven't had the time um but the, the fact that it even exists and it's spurring uh you know narrative campaigns that people can play missions of um, you know to, to relive it, uh, it it's a whole different take on necromunda from you know what it was in in 2017 to now and i hope that that continues to be honest i, I must admit I, I, the writing in it is very games workshop in that uh, you know you get certain <laughs> characters that uh, that pull off spectacular feats that if you were to try to repro- reproduce in their campaign just just isn't possible well that is something that we will get to <laughs> that the fluff what i like to call the fluff versus the crunch because gwr are a great one you know a two gray knights managed to take on an entire planet of demons and in the game well that would be like half of one half turn sort of thing so but anyway you know that's a, that's a digression I, th- I, I think the I, internet I think... learned some years ago never go full Matt Ward. I think <laughs> the, uh, yes. Oh, curse his name! Curse his name! Blood Angels. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a an important distinction to make between the way that Eight for Different Eight Edition Fantasy went and the way Necromunda has gone, though. In that all of the, Necromunda has the core Necromunda book, and then everything else is an expansion, which you can or can't use, as Gaz mm. said. You know, you don't have to include any of it. You can just play with the standard house gangs and off you go. But it's all there for the arbitrator to to make use of if they wish to. So just because they they have released Cinderac Burning and jumped the timeline forward doesn't have to have any effect on anything if you don't want it to. Mm. So whereas 8th edition fantasy, it was, you know, we're burning the old world. That's it. We've now got a new edition and you have to follow this storyline if you wish to continue playing. Yeah, yeah. So the, I think same, that's that's the, the difference. The same um, thing with 40k too. I mean, they, they you know they fundamentally bumped the timeline forward and all the rest of it. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but the other thing as well is that by having the, I mean, ne- Necromunda since 2017. I mean, I'm looking at the the books on the shelf next to me at the moment, and I'm not entirely sure how much money I've spent on it. But it is a it's a lot of money. Don't ask. Don't never ask that question. <laughs> never, 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 never ask that question. But to have a stack of of however many books it is now filling you know an entire shelf compared to the you know the three books that you had before that, that that lasted 20 years and that was it that's all you had and anything else had to be completely written from the ground up as a mm. customizable rule set it's amazing like the support that necromunda is getting now is fantastic and it's yes. exciting this is um Hell yeah. and the other thing i think is important is that you don't have to use any of the things that have been written verbatim so Cinderac Burning, for example, the fluff and the history and the lore, it's, it's fantastic. It's really well written and it works really, really nicely. But you could take the mechanics of that campaign and apply it anywhere at any time. That's true. So it would, for Gilders Ford, for an example, and this will happen at some point, I'm already looking at the, the Cinderac Burning campaign as a way of having an uprising. Oh, you know, Gang yeah, Green versus Precinct 19. That's a great because idea. It works really, really well. Um, and I think that's that's important to point out that those campaign types and territories and all that kind of stuff that is there and optional rules can be lifted out and used in a different way if you mm. if you use a bit of imagination. I mean, that's, of course, presuming that he survives this campaign. Spoilers. 
I mean, I think for me that there's there's two parts to this because there's the uh, the elements of the books which is much more narrative focus, which is the setting or the the addition of the the the, the guilds or the um, allegiances and alliances and all that kind of stuff. And then there is the inevitable addition or creep of equipment that sort of goes hand in glove with that. Which um, I mean, like like you were saying, on the one hand, you could you know you could have one player that goes, I'm just going to go with the core book and I'm going to go with the, ha- the core gangs, but on the other hand you get a player who says oh no no i want to use you know gang x or or equipment y and and there is there is an inevitable and it's like we've had this before with the um you as the arbitrator to balance that creep of equipment and and like you've said in the past you know we've had gangs or people show up with you know gold-plated last cannons and you go hang on a second how can these guys in the in the bottom of some hive got better equipment than space marines and it's it's always been that kind of creep balance that's worried me a little bit about the um the new stuff that comes out because people always want you know to to reference one of my favorite albums of all times bigger better faster more um stuff um four non-blondes by the way uh and um that that's always worried me to some degree uh and and equally um, the creep around, and we will definitely get into this in another episode. The creep around uh, what I like to call the stack of whack, and and the kind of the the cards, the the tactics cards that come out, and the the game breaking elements that that I think some of the playtesting that the GW very closeted group of GW um, playtesters never quite. Uh, see the box for what it is in my opinion and i think a lot of people's opinion and so you know and we've seen examples and we won't go into details here but we've seen examples that completely break the game because the in the effects and the unintended consequences of stacking certain things together uh, was just not spotted so yeah that's why really you need an arbitrator to jump in and you know pick up on those issues and and arbitrate accordingly to balance it as required yeah i mean i, I think it was like we were saying before there's the difference between the people that we see in arbitration more as a bookkeeping kind of tally exercise versus the kind of the sort of thing that you do incredibly well which is the the curation element of arbitration which um in our experience hasn't necessarily been the norm. I think it also really comes down to the players that you have in your group and how they interact with the possibilities because you will you already mentioned about you know playtesting and various other things. Yeah. If you if you have players of a certain mentality, these issues won't come up. But if you have one player with the wrong men or not the wrong mentality, but one player with different mentality, yeah. then you will start to see that coming in yes. and that's when you sort of start need to balance things. So before all of the house of books came out for example uh i we had a standard campaign rule which was that every gang could only contain one heavy weapon one special weapon or two special weapons which yeah. goes back to the old not sort of necromunda 95 type rules yeah that has kind of balanced itself to a degree now because generally speaking only leaders and champions can take those types of weapons yeah. and then specialists can take them yeah um and by the nature of some of the campaigns we've been running, there hasn't been the credits available to start you know, spamming yeah. plasma guns and melter guns and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. it's always, I, I agree with what you were saying earlier, it's always irritated me slightly that these gangs, you know, of local hive dwellers in the bottom of the underhive who are scrabbling to find food and existence are better equipped than the best of the best Imperial Guard squads and Space Marine squads. Yes. 
So, you know, there's got to be there's got to be a balance of it somewhere, but at the same time you don't want to take the options of having all of that stuff away from people. It's interesting that that, that uh, technological creep, we've seen its influence across the community because, of course, with your Back to Basics campaign, James, uh, you, you, you actively tried to sort of stimmy that, that creep. Um, and certainly with Goonhammer's Lost Zone rule set, um, they were coming from very much the same place of what happened to knife fights and sh- you know barely functioning auto pistols being the norm rather than you know gold plate last cannons plasma cannons just so yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean I, I highly recommend for any arbitrators out there just run any campaign it doesn't matter which one it is but run any campaign only allowing common items it yes. is excellent fun yes it is because you suddenly see those players who are like oh i'm going to bring a yeah, gold-plated las cannon or a heavy bolter with static rounds or whatever you know all these sort of combinations of yeah. things that people build a gang around and they suddenly go do you know what all i've got is like a stick and this battered pistol and that's all I've, that's all i can use and it, you start seeing the way that com- combinations of equipment combinations of weapons combinations of tactics start coming into the play yeah. far far more than just i've got the biggest gun the most powerful gun and i'm going to blast you in the face with it from and 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 some of these pieces of equipment really do take from the game and my personal bugbear is a suspenser you know know, for one how does everybody get hold of one you know this is supposed to be forgotten technology but aside from that you know in terms of kind of learning to play the game in a interesting way you know the tactical choice between moving and and repositioning a heavy weapon or, or firing made made that's an interesting tactical choice as opposed to yeah. a 60 point mandatory piece of equipment. That means I don't have to worry about making that choice anymore. And it's essentially now just a very, very, very yes. long range strength or weapon. But you do um, have to choose between buying that weapon and buying a ganger. Well, well, well true, but you know what? what... <sighs> so if credits yeah. are an issue, which is the other thing, credits are yeah. absolutely abundant in this game. Well, that's true. It, and experience is lacking. Yes. So yes, you can buy that really expensive gold-plated las cannon, but the guy who's firing it is only ballistic school four. Yes, and it's going to take him eight games to get enough experience to get an upgrade. I mean, I still to this day don't understand how I, I playing the redemption, managed to finish the, the that campaign with more credits than I knew what to do with, and I end up donating stuff because I was like, oh, I may as well burn through them, right? I mean, that was ridiculous. I, I personally want to see that. Uh that chart brought back i quite like the idea of that and it kind of makes sense as well you know if you're doing really well everybody all your gangers want a cut you know well the fugitives drift campaign that we're about to start uh i would be gobsmacked if anyone has any money to spend on anything other than food to keep people alive i suspect well you know food is by the by but (laughs) But that's that's by by the the time by the time you've paid the rogue doc to save your leader that is bleeding out because you can't hire a rogue doc as an outlaw yeah um it's going to be quite interesting to see what what money people decide to spend and when they've spent it all when they suddenly realize they don't have any Yes. And they really need some. Well, how they're going to deal with that? Do they, you know, do they sell that gold-plated las cannon that they've been saving up for six <laughs> games in order to save the life of their leader that they love so much? The secret yeah. ingredient, James, is chem. True, if you can get them, but then get addicted to them, and then you've got to hire a uh, chem dealer. Yes, 
do you get rid of your brute because you've only got enough reputation for one hanger on? Exactly. I, I think I should point out the fact that I, I, I'm not I'm not beating on people that want the last cannon. I just remember back in the day in N95 when you literally would scrimp and save for an entire campaign for that one opportunity to buy that ridiculous heavy weapon and maybe get to shoot it once or twice because they were monstrously overpriced and it was almost impossible to get that number of credits, you know, and it was it was impractical, right? So you either didn't buy anything then the entire game and hope that nobody died or you never got around to earning it and i think you know you alluded you, you a second ago james said uh, that uh experience and i have felt this right from the get-go that ex- experience is much more meager um with this whole narrative thing around wanting to make juves and and uh, your champions kind of the thing i mean i remember games in the past where you know every ganger would get an upgrade whether it was a stat increase or a skill increase because XP was much more, um, I wouldn't say freely available, but it was it was much more forthcoming as opposed to credits. You, you know, you, you maybe got 10, 15 credits for the entire game. Whereas now I see it as a complete reverse and I don't like it. Although a lot of that is down to the missions. There are a lot of missions that are very free with credits. I mean, we all know the, the worst one, you know, the Ghast Harvest, Caravan Heist. Mm. You know, some of those hand out ridiculous amounts of money. Um, while yep. you know some hand out like 10 like yeah it's true but again that that's where i think if you're running a campaign as an arbitrator you need to be really careful what missions or not necessarily what missions you allow but more how you allow them mm-hmm. so th- there's nothing wrong with running a caravan heist but you need to make sure that it's not every player running it every game for, like because they're choosing their own missions or, or as we've had before has a chance to run a similar mission with the similar rewards yeah but of yes. course you know when, when one player then gets miles ahead then the, again you... it's the job of the arbitrator to then yeah. let everybody else have a, a leg back up to yeah or the guild of coin turns up at their door and demands the taxes that they haven't paid for the last four games because of course in the past we've had people that have um like the the was it the ghast uh, harvest or whatever it was where people have actually farmed it and agreed to not not attack each other and so they end up with a ridiculous amount of money and then you know they haven't had that happen the taxing i mean uh well no i think generally speaking it's always balanced quite well in our campaign but there is definitely the potential for people to play yeah. outside the spirit of the game let's yeah. say See, for me, it, it would be quite interesting to to kind of pick the brains of the the game developers themselves and see how they envisioned this version of Necromunda in comparison to the old version. Because to me, it feels like it's N, N95 or N98 dialed up to 11. <clears throat> you know, your credits are much more abundant. You don't have to worry about the upkeep. Therefore, you can field those special and heavy weapons every game. Um, the only thing that doesn't feel like it's dialed up to 11, which we've all alluded to, is, is the XB game. Mm. And actually, I think that, that that's a big part that's missing from the game for me as somebody who likes to see the gang develop. Um, but actually, you've got that opportunity to try out those toys, e- even in a you know, relatively small campaign, um, even in a six-game campaign, say, like, you know, if, if the credits are abundant, um, you could field a, a couple of special and heavy weapons and have some fun with them. Um um, and maybe they maybe they were aiming for shorter games, you know, with these um, multiple uh, lasting injuries off of the back of multiple damage weapons. Um, I think but... that's another big difference between you know the old and the new. You know, the old campaigns they used to be very open ended; they could run for months. Now, where you again, if you play it as it as written, you know, you play six or seven games. Much more prescriptive, um, right? Mm. And then yeah. you know the, the the opportunity to 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 do all those crazy things, you know, 
often we say, well, actually, it's more likely than not that your juve won't be promoted because he's not likely to get six advances because, you know, that's going to average out about one a game. Yes. Which is which is quite an ask, especially the thing considering is, they're juves and they're rubbish. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is that it, it, that's the slight dichotomy with the whole, the way that the, the sort of the narrative of the book goes because they want you to focus. It's almost like they the, the gangers, I think you've said this in the past, the gangers are complete chaff and you kind of, you should be throwing them forward and almost using them like cannon fodder. And then the juves are the ones that they kind of want you to promote up. But, and that's all all good but then if you're not getting the xp to do it because they're not in the they're not having the opportunity is it that the game or the way that it's structured is is poor or are we doing it wrong and i don't think we're doing it wrong well i I think the it's the the prospects isn't it that they get they can be upgraded to champions at the end of a campaign that's right now they they changed that didn't they Um, so they can be upgraded at the midpoint if they've gained five advances they obviously gain xp and can gain, gain advances quicker than other gangers because of their special rules with the fast learner, etc. But you've also got to use them if you want to upgrade them to a champion. You've got to use them in the right way by, you know, as as Lee just said, throwing the gangers forward as a screen to take the bullets for them so that the prospect can get into position to, you know, make do whatever it is yeah. they want to do, make the kill, get the XP, uh, and so on and so forth. But the trouble is, when people are running around with gold-pated las cannons and melter guns and all that kind of stuff, is that they tend to die very, very, very quickly, I mean, which is horrifically brutal, yeah. perfectly necromunda, but yeah. it does kind of go against yeah. the intention i think so so i think that's a really good opportunity because we've kind of alluded to this in the chat previously that we obviously we run things differently um with gildersford and we have a, a different way of distributing xp or a slightly modified way of distributing xp but also i think much more importantly tactics cards and uh, i think james this is definitely one for you to explain sure so i mean starting with the xp it, it's relatively straightforward um the house rule that we have for experience basically is in addition to any other specified experience um, for causing an injury or taking part in a mission, etc. If a fighter causes at least one unsaved wound during their activation or as part of a reaction attack, they gain one experience. And we've done that over several campaigns and it, it, it's not game breaking. It makes enough of a difference to get some extra XP and just increases it maybe by, I don't know, 25, 30% on top of what you would normally yeah. see, but it's just enough to make yeah. it worth having. No, I agree. Yeah. So that that does work quite nicely because then you do see, you know, gangers and whoever else getting just, you know, they might get that extra stat increase or that extra skill or whatever it might be as part of the campaign. They don't just, you know, they're not just a generic 70 point yeah. ganger who doesn't change for the entire Absolutely. duration of a campaign. It was interesting. I was reading so. the fact earlier and there was that, that explicit thing about, you know, if you seriously injure someone and then they go out of action at the end of the game because they roll the dice right at the very end, you don't get the XP for killing them. And, and, and again, it's like, really? Yeah. So with this, you would have got the XP already by causing yeah, that exactly. unsaved wound yeah. in the no, first place. Absolutely. So it's only one XP. You know, it's not, you're limited. Most games are going to be, what, five or six yeah. turns. So if you were lucky enough to cause a wound every single yeah. turn, you're going to gain six XP, which means you're going to get one for a ganger. You're going to get one random roll on the upgrade. Which is, which is, so it's not, it's no, not game but it's kind of it's, the, the cadence that we were kind of used to with N95. Yes. Yeah. And that's assuming that you actually get those wounds every single turn. And more likely, you're going to get one upgrade every yeah. couple of games, which is much more yeah. realistic. And over a six or eight game campaign, you're getting three or four upgrades, which is probably about right for a ganger, really. Yes. 
so we you know we do offer some depending on the campaign we offer other xp sometimes we do it for painted models for example just to encourage people to get those you know one xp at the beginning or d3 or whatever it is to, to get people painting yes. I won't get on my high horse um, about that. Nice I mean, I, 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 I'm all about the painting, and I, you know, but uh, the last thing I ever want to see is grey plastic. So yes, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, one it, one XP per of... painted model. Like, so each model that's painted, gets each one model, XP yeah, yeah. Start with, yeah. and then it was uh, one rep uh, when the whole gang's painted. Uh, yes, for re- repping your colours. Yeah, exactly. So it's again another incentive just to get a few. Pa- you know, it doesn't have to be much undercoat and a few slaps of contrast paint. That's all you need, but it's better than grey plastic. So definitely. Yes, I'm- Currently um, waiting for a delivery of paint because I decided the other day to, to change my idea for how I'm painting the Ashways Nomads, and I'm like, oh, I've got a, I've got till Monday to get these done. Okay, I've better get it ordered. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, nothing like you to leave anything to the last no, minute. Sure. Eh? I actually rushed off to Warhammer Guildford this evening just to get a pot of purple paint because my uh, my veteran pot of Warlock purple. I'm sorry uh, to tell you, all finally has, died. Has passed on. No. God, Warlock Purple. There's a colour from. You there's a blast that. from the past. You, you could probably sell that on eBay as an <laughs> yeah, antique. Absolutely. What did you replace it with? In the background, me painting my uh, gang leader at the moment. See, the, see, this is where I tell you to not use DW paint and use much better paint. But we won't go there until another episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like DW paint apart from their washes. Their technical stuff is good, but the paint I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I think that that would be a really interesting discussion for us to have, actually, uh, in, in another in another episode. Yes. Yeah, other other brands are available, and we will all take freebies. Well, if, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> if we can get them. <laughs> so the uh, the other uh, thing you mentioned those tactics yes. cards. So tactics cards are an interesting one because there have been so many editions that have come out now um, across different you know boxes and house books and uh, add on packs and various other things. So we it's it's impossible really for every member of every group to have every tactics card now i i have made an effort to pick up every single one of them because i arbitrate um i want to have access to all of them if i need it so the way that we do it is when a gang and again i think we'll go into a bit more details to how this works but when a gang is is created um the gang will be drawn a a number of tactics card equal to the number of fighters in that gang and they will be unique tactics cards and that will call that will create a pool of tactics cards that is available to that gang for the campaign so they get one per fighter new fighters will bring a new tactics card and when they are then as part of a mission drawing uh, a random or choosing tactics cards they're choosing from their own gang's pool not from a you know 400 random cards that they could pull out so it, it also then gives the gang their own unique flavor because those cards will generally be unique to that gang in that campaign and those are the tactics that work and therefore you start seeing gangs building um strategy their strategy and their weapons and everything else and their equipment around that tactics card so for example if they could you know they have a tactics card that allows them to turn out the like the lights and use the pitch dark rules you'll start seeing that that player equipping all of their models with photo goggles for example or infrasites and you'll then also when they that when other people in the campaign realize that that player has that tactics card they will start buying photo goggles and yes. uh, infrasites and so on so or, uh, or, or have some mechanism to counter that you know that i know because there, there were some territories that allow you to modify that if we're using those territories but yeah 
yeah, exactly. So we'll, we let's come back to the tactics cards. I think that would be a, that would be a, in itself tactics cards would be a really interesting discussion for us to have. But yeah, we we have changed the way we use it, and it works really really well. Um, and it gives that extra narrative flavor to to those gangers because if you want more tactics, you hire more people. Yep. You've got to make that decision. You know. Yep. So absolutely. So we just started, uh, or we're just about to start a new campaign, and it's a great opportunity to talk about where we want to go, and with all the things that we've kind of explained about Gildas Ford, the uh, the narrative going forward. And so, Fugitive Drift is starting this Monday. The um, I don't even know the date. It'll be what the fourth or fifth or something. Seventh. Uh, seventh. There you go. See, I'm not paying attention. Seventh of uh, of <laughs> November. November. Um, and we, you know, um, again. DXC is the arbitrator, and so uh, take it away. Right, so Fugitive's Drift uh, is the area of the bad zones just outside Gilders Ford. So it's it's kind of a natural uh, thoroughfare for outland gangs, basically, who have been driven out of uh, the Gilders Ford settlement by Precinct 19. Um, it's the home of Gangrene, who is the arch nemesis of all that is good in Gildersford. Um, we'll, we'll, we will definitely be coming back and visiting uh, his story arc in more detail. Yes, um, But he essentially, he led a rebellion and he was um, being hunted down uh, to be executed. He managed to escape and he's established himself as a kind of prophet, self-proclaimed prophet god in the in the bad zones outside Gildersford. And there's now all these kind of cult following that's, that's raised up um, around him. So Fugitive's Drift itself is this just this horrible, barren wasteland area. Uh, there's a solitary Precinct 19 Enforcer outpost there, which was established in a, in a previous campaign arc, uh, which we had called Beyond the War. And the, the, the starting point for this campaign is, is actually following immediately on from, from our, uh, not the previous campaign, but the one before that, um, which was our um, Trials campaign basically where these sort of gang it was just after covid and we had these these gangs of jews and prospects um uh, in a sort of small uh, short campaign based around kind of hunger games uh, that that sort of thing running man i it's, it's running hey, man. I, yeah. I know i'm going to show my age here but it's just it's just a remake of the running man yeah. it was not at all it was battle royale oh that too yes <laughs> all and, of the above and the hunger and, games and more, favorite yeah. young adults here. yeah yeah, you know, so, it was heavily flavoured around the Hunger Games, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. So we had all the all these... Um, uh, I, I think, again, we'll, we'll talk about that particular campaign at some point as well. But it's it it a really interesting take on how, how things worked. And how not but we do things. Oh, I yeah, don't know. Uh, generally, really well. generally. Lots generally. of grenades. Lots of grenades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Knives for the Dalak, as I recall. Yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, so you you had these gangs of, of Jews and prospects, and they it was all televised in the spire. There was mo- lots of money being made on bets being placed on which gang was going to win, and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of it, they basically realised that all of these gangs were too they'd become too powerful, too popular. So <laughs> Precinct Nineteen basically herded them into this big elevator told them it was part of the trials they were fighting over this elevator in order to be the the ones that got to the top first and to win the prize and to win their freedom and they just found themselves you know the elevator opened up and they were in fugitives drift and they the doors shut behind them and they were like thanks very much off you go you're now outlawed so this campaign is really about that kind of story arc. So the, these gangs, are, are they're famous fighters now. They're, the names are known throughout the Spire. 
um, that they're definitely known through Gilda's Ford, and they find themselves outlawed in this barren wasteland with no, you know, no friends and no prospects and anything else. And they've now got to work out a way of surviving and establishing themselves. And the, the, there are two goals to this campaign. You, you have Gangrene and all of his followers and his cult, who are very much the, the evil faction. And you have Precinct 19 and the outpost there. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how these how, how the players approach this campaign. Uh, there are alliances. Um, there is, there's lots of bad zone uh, you know, um, effects that are going to be in place. There's subplots because everyone's trying to kill each other and get one over on each other. Uh, there's going to be all these different kind of elements at play. Um, and because they're outlaw, the way that we, that we have changed our trading post rules in Gilders Ford means that equipment such as gold-plated las cannons are going to be very, very difficult to come by for outlaws. So you've got some very, you know, interesting decisions to make about using which hangers on and gaining, you know, focusing on gaining rep rather than money in order to get a proxy, in order to get access to the trading post, in order to buy the things that you want or chem dealers. And yeah, there's, there's lots and lots and lots going on there. Yeah, and I think what we really want to do is understand the where people are going. So yeah, I mean, this is basically going to be a it's going to be a standard Outlander campaign. So the first thing they're going to have to choose is which type of area they're going to establish their settlement in, and from that point, building that base. Have a settlement. Well, they can. Everyone has a you know they're all going to have an isotropic fuel rod and a water still. What they do after that is going to be fascinating for me as an arbitrator to see what people concentrate on because you know picking that starting location is actually quite important because it it drives what buildings you can do and what defenses you can do and how much materials you can actually create yourself yeah and then the missions that i've selected for each of the weeks of the campaign will give people the opportunity to get more of those supplies um and then they've got to choose which buildings are actually going to build and how those are going to interact with the following games you know do you go down a defensive route and get yourself walls and a watchtower or do you go down the route of you know trying to get a i don't know a dock you know uh, get establish a rogue dock so that you can actually heal your fighters rather than having to pay somebody else to do it yeah so i'm very glad that i've been playing so much fallout 4 lately with the settlement building <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that'd be uh, it'd be really good we, we've also we've got of course four new boards coming for the campaign which i'm working on at the moment so they're all themed around those types of areas so we've got a ghost town board we've got a boneyard you know we've got a depths board we've got a factorum runoff so it would be be really good to sort of see hopefully that will bring the set the, the, the setting alive for yep. the players as well i've seen them and i can vouch for the fact that they are very very tasty yeah. and um, and perfectly timed because i think at last last time i checked are we up to 14 or even 15 players confirmed Jane? uh i think 12 was the last i counted but i haven't looked at it today so there might be more so do people want to talk about what they're bringing? Because uh, I, I think I'm probably hamstringing myself by picking the, the gang that I'm bringing, but I won't talk about that until someone else has talked about what they're bringing. Please tell me you're bringing Chad and the Redemption back out. No, considering you'll be on the no. Chad, Chad is is resting, um, uh, and and the Coneheads are are doing their thing. No, no, I'm I'm bringing Ashwaste Nomads. I, I decided to kind of oh, channel yeah. my channel my uh, in, inner uh, uh, younger self and and dig out like the I've with you know, soft spot for the Ratskins as well. And you know I've got the rat, you know the Ratskins gang that obviously 
being slightly uh, inappropriate these days with the whole cultural appropriation. Obviously, the Ash Waste Nomads are kind of the new representation of those. And looking at the rules for that, especially you know with, with what James was saying about settlements and all that kind of stuff, of course, the Ash Waste Nomads can't have a settlement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like it's going to be interesting how I do and, and how it works equally in terms of can't bring vehicles, can't have alliances. It's going to be... A very different campaign, I think, for me, uh, just because I wanted to see how they played. I had my first test game uh, with them against Lawrence the other night, and they seemed to be very good, although um, I played the the changing. I was bringing a Stormcaller, and I I know I was playing the changing of the weather completely wrong. I was making it shorter, and I'm thinking, hang on a second, I've spec these guys out with long rifles. What the hell am I doing? So... um, that I think you did all right considering the number of ones I rolled. Well, yes, but it was more the fact that you rolled lots of ones rather than I actually did the right thing. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, but so that I think for me is going to be kind of uh, slightly different from a lot of people where you know where the restrictions that are placed on the nomads being that obviously they they don't come from Guildersford, they've come from the wastes to the kind of the bit you know where fugitive fugitives drift is um and or what's going on with these kind of filthy you know uh sump dwelling um underhivers and of, of course they're from not from the hive uh, i think that's going to be interesting for me and potentially catastrophically bad but hey it's fun but there are a lot of trading caravans in that area that have to pass through or near Fugitive's Drift, which is why it's such a popular area for outlaws and yeah. why you would see lots of nomads, etc., sneaking in in order to try and gain access to those. Yeah, exactly. So again, back to the original point that we were talking about right at the beginning of narrative. Yeah. It works really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So who else is going to explain what they're bringing? Or do, you know? Okay. Okay. So I am bringing my, uh, my Escher gang, the... Um, the I've completely forgotten their name. That's embarrassing. That's not a good start. Viral <laughs> Valkyries. Viral Valkyries. That's the one. No, I'll be no one will remember Valkyries. your name. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not that popular in the trials, after all. No. Well, they did not a, do very well. It's a rebrand. <laughs> they did not do very well. Only one of my uh, only one of my prospects made it to upgrade level. So she has become my leader, and so I've got. Uh, I've been scratch building myself a, a leader with a bow. Um, which is always it's a very cool model to be fair it is it, it is. doesn't do very much on the tabletop i can tell you <laughs> that, that doesn't matter uh, but it is a very cool that's what model. that's what minions are for surely mm. yeah, yeah not yet anyway you wait till she's got some tricked out arrows behind her she's already got those the acid arrows be able to hit anything though uh, it's it's the, it's the ones that were killing him the acid arrows were there they just weren't doing anything <laughs> yes yes indeed <laughs> Um, I think probably the, the thing I've had most fun building this time is some vehicles. So we've decided to include some light vehicles into this campaign. So I have uh, been 3D printing myself. In fact, I actually took a model off um, off Thingiverse and, and edited it a little bit so that it suited my needs. Um, and I've printed a pair of those and uh, sculpted a couple of Escher Hellion drivers, which was uh, an interesting one to get to get those uh, Escher legs to sit. Yeah, very interesting, but sort of worked. Um, So, yeah, they're going to be a a fun paint job for this week. Um, But in terms of kind of campaign, um, I'm thinking of more for, A, the fact it's middle of the road, and B, because I quite like the the narrative of going for the factory runoff where my uh, Escher can um, refine various chemicals from from the ooze that drips down from these factories above. 
for my uh, for my base. I like um, that. That's very narrative. Yeah, I quite like it. In the in the last campaign, uh, I, I kind of went with the personal narrative that uh, they were sent down by the uh, Escher Escher chemists to uh, see if they could just uh, find a sample of the, the virus that had wiped out everybody. Um, and so uh, the, my uh, my leader Sky may or, or may not be carrying a, a sample of that virus on her person. Well, be who, careful uh, what you wish for. <laughs> and, and may or may not be trying to smuggle it back into the hive. Yeah, zombie plague? You, you sure you want to be taking that around with you? Meh. <laughs> yeah. uh, it wouldn't be the first time we've had an outbreak. <laughs> or the like. I think I might have to butt in next because I'm seething here at Lawrence's pale imitations of, of the original and best Escher Ooh. gang in, uh, in Gilders. Gauntlet's thrown down. The uh, the sump pipe sirens who whose origin story was pretty much what Lawrence just pretended he'd uh, he'd come up with himself. But uh, <laughs> if I recall though, Ross, they didn't do that well and they failed and that's possibly why Escher sent another gang down to take their place. And they're clearly not the best because uh, the Violet Miasma did incredibly well in their first five games of the uh, Back to Basics campaign, just saying. Never heard of them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, your started already. <laughs> well. for, uh, for Fugitives Drift, um, I'm actually bringing back bringing back my Escher, who who are, I believe had completed their third campaign. Um, they've, they've been on hiatus for a while, uh, largely due to the fact they were already outlawed um, on account of some completely uh, over-exaggerated civilian casualties. Uh, you killed made... the Gildersford Gazette editor's niece with a grenade. Reputedly killed the editor of the Gildersford <laughs> Gazette niece with a grenade. There's photographic but... evidence. Yeah, fake news. But um, so the the some part sirens are no more. They they uh, their leader, their queen Hennessy, has been leading the remnants of the of the band out in the uh, in the bad zones for some time. Um, but I'm I'm seeing this campaign as an opportunity to hopefully build something of a redemption arc. Can uh, can they find themselves back in the in the good graces of of, of the imperial house? By some means, um, if you're going to use a redemption art, you've got to come up with comedy names. Sorry, that's a, that's a mandatory thing. <laughs> what I am working on, or slightly panicked uh, in slightly panicked fashion, thinking about trying to get done before Monday, is um, is a wolf quad as my as my obligatory vehicle purchase. So I have got the model boxed and to hand. It's just whether I can turn it around in time. But um, it'll be interesting. I still haven't played. Um, the the new Ash Waste vehicle rules. I've I've watched Lawrence uh, playing them briefly, um, and I've been doing some frantic revision. But yes, Hennessy Hennessy returning as Gang Queen. She is she is at this point three campaigns in quite the monster, um, but it does leave the gang slightly underpowered in terms of bodies. So time will tell whether she can carry the day or or just disappears into the uh, into anonymity in in the underhive once more. I should probably point out that part of the <clears throat> intention of this campaign was was to encourage people to bring Splinter Gangs back, so that we could see some of these characters returning, uh, particularly for the Trials Gangs uh, and the Jews and the prospects that took part in those. Which I've completely ignored. Well, that's fine. Somebody <laughs> had to. Well, I just felt with the you know the box and the the nomads, someone had to bring them. So I'm really excited fair. actually to see how they work in a campaign because I've seen them play and I've seen obviously I've read the rules and everything else, but we haven't had a campaign since the Ash Waste came out. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm really excited to see how they work. 
yeah, I was about to say I, I was considering bringing them myself, and then I'd um, already decided on uh, enforcers. Um, and then uh, James released the dates, and I was like, oh, I can only make about half of those. Um, and uh, so we've had a little discussion, and uh, I think I'm still going to run them, but I, I won't be joining you until the second cycle. Um, so take from that what you will, but prepare Ooh, for the dispensation ominous. of Helmar's justice uh, in uh, response to your actions. Is that shock um, buttons all round? Well, well, I mean, that was inevitable anyway, but um, <laughs> <laughs> don't expect any mercy, that's for sure. Um, we'll be dragging you out of your beds in the, in the dead of night and uh, dragging you down to the local precinct house for a, a swift interrogation, um, you know, rigging up the uh, wolf quad battery to uh, some uh, jump leads and attaching them to your toes, maybe. You've got we'll to get over the wall first, mate. <laughs> I'll take that as a challenge. I'm, I'm building a fortress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've got one of those special uh, keys that opens all doors. <laughs> big red, big red key. Yeah, a big it's, red key. Yeah, no, it's, called, it, it, it's called a grenade launcher, isn't it? <laughs> it's got one of those. It's it's, it's a, a grenade launcher come sledgehammer, I believe, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's a fun it's a fun weapon on the tabletop. I I'm looking forward to giving one. it a good go, actually. Yeah, so um, yeah, Pr- prepare for the knock knock. So, what about people's painting projects? Oh, uh, don't. Who, who's painting what at the moment? I'm frantically painting scenery for the new boards and, and printing get, scenery as well. And printing scenery, printing, painting, printing, <laughs> painting, panicking, and uh, putting together getting, rules documents, getting mm. the the documents together for the campaign, and then yeah, working out how many players we've got, working out who's playing who, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, lots of lots of admin going on this side mm. as well as painting. I'm 3D printing some of the stuff for the new boards as well, uh, and um, waiting for paints because I decided I, I did a whole bunch of painting of some of the the bugs, the dust bite halamites for the uh, ash uh, for the nomads. And decided too much brown. It looks really boring. So I'm gonna I'm I'm changing tack completely. And I've ordered some of that color shift, that green stuff world color shift uh, chameleon paint. And I'm gonna kind of make them look a much more kind of stag beetle kind of uh, uh, green red sort of burgundy you know dark colors to kind of give it that kind of uh, very different look, which doesn't quite fit with the whole hiding in the waste but ah, you know whatever i think i think i like like the um the idea of kind of a, an homage to a stag beetle kind of i mean idea. they can adjust to their surroundings as well can't they i'm sure the outlands are badlands yeah they've got a lot of red well i think the thing is remember that the the the, the wastes of necromunda are abundant in colors yes. they're not it's not just sand or whatever no, is it exactly. it's no. all sorts of horrific yeah. chemical radiation and yeah I very much see them as um, as like an extreme version of the Icelandic Highlands, where you get these these strata of the most incredible colours, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's just nature. You imagine pumping <laughs> pumping your wastelands full of the most toxic chemicals imaginable, you'll get some pretty interesting colour palettes. Yes, absolutely. I, I say so. I so I, I'm sort of fifty percent the way through the uh, the main nomads, and then I'm just hopefully the paint will show up from. Uh, my usual supply. I tend to buy things from, you know, not GW Direct, and obviously this isn't GW Paint, so uh, get that sort of stuff as well. And obviously that'll be uh, get some of that dirty down um, rust at the same time. Uh, oh, that stuff, that stuff is amazing. It, it, it is. It is. Uh, I've heard good things, and then I saw the stuff that you'd done, and I was like, oh, that's phenomenal. And obviously uh, the other thing is that obviously Peachy now having left GW's uh, extolling the virtues of that stuff on the channel that he's on now, and it, yeah, it is. It's very. Yeah, I, I think I've gone through about two bottles of it so far. 
I haven't seen the Verdigree or the Moss uh, stuff. I, I, I need. Or, have you got some of that, Ross? The Moss. Stuff? I've got I both do. of those actually. I do indeed. I've used a little bit on one of my Zone Mortalis um, walls, and it's it's relatively subtle. Um, but they do stress to try and get it to a, a good temperature to begin with, um, and and maybe a repeat uh, dose might might well make okay. it pop even more. Right. For that is that for the Moss or the Verdigree? Yeah, no, that's for the Moss. Moss. Right. No, it looks it looks incredible. So the order's gone in. So I just need to hope that it shows up in time and we can start using that. I've, I've got some of the Verdigree one, so I'll probably test that on some of the terrain I'm working on. Well, I've just tested it on some of my um, ships for Kings of War Armada, actually. So um, actually, once they're finished, maybe I can send you some pictures, Lee, and you can get a good look. Yeah, but I, good. I think that could work for um, statues and things like that, you know, yeah. scenery-wise. Yeah. Pipes. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Things like that, yeah. Uh, bits of old manufacturing perfect really that's good i say i mean like i alluded to earlier i like stepping outside of the, uh, the the bounds of the gw palette and um and looking at all these different paint options uh i think it's once you spread your wings a little bit it's there's a lot out there to be um to be experimented with bad influence lee yeah <laughs> to, to be fair i've gone the full contrast route now um you know i used to do a lot of painting i've finalized golden demon a couple of times etc but i the contrast like time restrictions and life restrictions these days contrast is so easy and so effective for what we're using it for um i i just i very rarely put any actual layers on anything nowadays no i mean i i i use contrast paint but i i sort of for me it's a it's a base coat it's a pseudo base coat i use i'm i'm a big fan i mean you know this uh people are probably quite aware of slap chop right um and it's not a new um technique although it's been popularized by god what's his name is the honest war gamer or whoever it is the the, the guy who kind of has popularized the, the method but the uh, i think contrast is incredible if you get a, a really awesome zenithal undershading the sort of the gazelle type classic method of, of the sort of the, the monochrome gray um grayscale um undershading that you do on a model and um, contrast on top of that is utterly phenomenal but the thing i will then go i'm a big fan of using oil paints to add the shading or add more depth and, and i think that really really accentuates the underlying colors because you know by by adding the oil paint and then de- using a subtractive method to delete it away so you leave the underlying color you i, I just think it adds a lot more depth Con- for me contrast by itself is a bit flat and it's um it, it's i mean it, don't get me wrong for speed painting and for beginner painting it's utterly phenomenal and what what it does over and above um layer sort of things is huge i just think you know it's some easier very easy to apply some simple techniques to make it just that little bit better yeah no 100 percent. i mean it, it's a it's a very effective way of getting something out quickly that you can come back to and improve later yeah. um to be fair i've been mainly using it on historical miniatures uh, which it works really really well for um, yeah. i haven't painted as much games workshop stuff recently as i would have maybe liked to but then you know I have a new daughter and various other <laughs> commitments going on at the moment. So time, time is Life, the universe and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that's exactly what every single one of my gangs has been so far. It's been a uh, contrast as a base coat. Um, and you know, it's something that you can get tabletop ready and then you can come back to each week between games. Um, you know, just take it that next level by putting another layer on top or a wash or whatever and, and, and sort of titivating as you go. Um, revisit you know i've still got intentions to go back and revisit my escher gang um you know when time allows in life um 
but yeah it just it, it allows you to hit something quick and hard in a short space of time and have yeah. some half yeah. decent results you I, know? I mean my um my uh van Sar gang that i did um when they sort of first came out was basically an undercoat uh moot green hexra flame and some detailing on the guns and the skin and it, it's classic lime green van Sar, but it, it was so effective and it did all the shading and everything else and you know it could be could it be better yes but it looks really good on the tabletop mm. um and it doesn't really is that over that uh, a straight white or or cr- um gray undercoat uh, that was over a white undercoat, so it's really, really pops. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, I use a lot of airbrush, and and I'm a huge fan of a zenithal un, under undercoat. I mean, even before the slap chop thing came out, which fundamentally the only difference that that is, it just you just do a heavy dry brush to almost do the edge highlighting on top of a, a zenithal um, undershade, and you don't have to do that with an airbrush. But I I think that that gradation that you get just from a, a black or a dark um, base coat and then just do a, a zenith all over the top with either a rattle can or a an airbrush just makes um, the contrast even more effective. And it's something I've tried to get people um, just to make that little change. I, th- I just think it um, adds a huge amount of depth to painting for very little effort. I mean, that's exactly what I've done with these ships as I went with a you know chaos black undercoat um, with a, a zenith all, um white scar over the top um and then i hit them with you know uh, black templar contrast and some shyish purple for the main colors um and then i've dry brushed on top of that um sort of in various gradations um just to try and get, try and get that sort of gloomy look but with some brighter highlights and it's been very very effectively so yeah like having seen your um uh, uh cursed city models that was kind of what made me think you know i'll give that a go um it's very effective I did something with the I did something similar with the kill team terrain actually you know kind of went with a, a heavy grey base coat um, rattle can again getting that kind of forty five degree angle with the with a a white in fact I think it was the the wraith bone um, and it almost came out like a like the backdrop to a uh, like a film noir or something like that yeah it was it was so stark I decided it doesn't need anything else yeah. Um, you know, I, I think with the um, Mechanicus logos, I picked them out in a in a red. You know, um, a bit like that. Um, you know, the the three hundred comic. If you ever had a look at that, you know, yes. black and white, except yes. with the yeah. gore splatters. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it really pops out. And sometimes you don't want your terrain to be too noisy because you lose your models in it. Yeah, that's that's fair. No, I mean, I think. Um... For me, I mean, that, that Curse City box that you mentioned, Gaz, the, I mean, that was a, a deliberate recreation. I mean, there's there's a YouTube painter, Marco Frasconi, uh, who... Yes, I'm familiar, you, yeah. If you can get past the Italian, he's a little bit over the top, but, you know, he's a great painter, and I, and I deliberately kind of uh, attempted to recreate. And his application of the oil and i think that's one thing you know i think a lot of people get very um scared of oh it's oil paint kind of thing and actually it's it's a remarkably powerful tool right and i think um for if you want speed painting actually oil paints are actually ironically super quick and um, amazing for speed painting and, and i you know love more people to really understand what you can do with them um and and for staining of models because you know you could you could do like that kind of zenithal undercoating with with that and then put some oil paint over leave it for a little bit wipe it all away and what you've done is stained the um the white or the gray or the whatever um with uh with it and and you're good to go 
Cool. Well, that was an awesome chat and uh, a bit more into painting than I was expecting, actually. But we can certainly get into that. And I'll get off my uh, my high horse and off my soapbox talking about um, how I think people should paint things in the future. But anyway, uh, that was awesome. And so um, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we, we hope you enjoyed that. And uh, say bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. See you <laughs> next <laughs> too. Bye. Yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening, guys. And take it easy. Adios. You've been listening to Gilder's Board Radio, broadcasting live all across the Sun, the Hive, Outlands, and the far reaches of the Ash Waste.